0: What is up, everybody? It's Raven Wolfgar, and this one's going to be a little different because I, obviously I'm using a webcam. And uh, give me just a second here to copy this and send it over to my guest here. Get my guest involved. All right. So, um, obviously, I'm not going to be able to see much of what I'm doing. So, if. Um, let me just go back over here just real quick uh live chat all right so if you're in the live chat you can go ahead and start uh posting but this will be the episode between me and dm blackwall who um he comes up in here we'll uh i'll add him and then we'll uh we'll get the conversation underway but uh Uh, I, I actually talked with him, uh, for what must've been about three hours one night over the phone. And, um, after about an hour, we would, we would say, okay, yes, it's it's time for me to go. It's time for me to, you know, I got, I got this, and the other to do. And then we'd go on for another hour and there we go. We try to wind it down again. We go for another hour. It resulted in me picking up this book that night. So, I hope you can uh, read that. The Legend of Sigurd and Guthrun, which, believe it or not, this is J.R.R. Tolkien's um, annotated version of it, and he does do it in the poetic form, which I thought was really great. And he also adds his notes and his takes on it. Very, very good stuff. Uh, honestly, never read it before, but yeah, really, really cool stuff. And I noticed something when I was talking to him. We were talking about the, um, the pl- uh, some of the plagues in medieval Europe. And some of those plagues were pretty scary stuff. I mean, um, when you compare it to today's pandemic, I think the response was a little muddled. Uh, if not, and that's at best. So I I realized this guy, uh DM Blackwall, has a very encyclopedic knowledge of the subject. And I was like, that would make a great uh podcast, it would make a great episode. So I wanted to bring him to you. And there he is. I'm gonna go ahead and bring him in now and we're gonna add him. Blackwall, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I cannot complain. I just uh finished up your intro right as I noticed you were in because I'm not facing my screen right now. So let's let's uh, get into this. You and I had about a three, three and a half hour conversation. Yeah. Every time, every time we tried to wind it down, brand new topic comes up and we're all over it. For sure. And one of the things that you brought up was medieval Europe and um, and the, the plagues that they suffered. I thought that was so good of a conversation. It had to be shared because you have an encyclopedia edict knowledge of this and before i before we uh really kind of get into that i wanted to tell everyone um we're not doctors uh even though yeah i am a licensed medical professional i'm not a doctor so any decisions for toward your health shouldn't be made based on this episode it should be based on a conversation between you and your doctor and that is it that's as far as i'm going to take it it's gonna we're gonna hit some pretty um I think, I think we're going to hit some uh, pretty sensitive subjects with some people, so uh, if you're not ready for this, yeah, you, you can bail now. Um, I don't think I have the chat up just yet. let will see.
1: Oh, yeah. No How do I access that in this uh, program?
0: Uh, actually, I don't think you do. I think that's all on my end, but this is my first time using it, so everything is going to be a little rough around the edges for this so far. Oh, sure. But, but uh, yeah, it's... As stuff comes up, I can go ahead and, you know, put things up. If, if nothing comes up, then at least we have a, a pretty, pretty awesome, uh, live discussion that's going to sit right here and people can comment as they want, sure. but yeah, let's get into this medieval Europe and disease. Let's, uh, let's go with, um, well, let's take it to today real quick. So far COVID's numbers have been. Pretty high, but we also had. We've also found out hospitals were um, listing gunshot deaths as COVID deaths. Uh, we don't yeah. have an. We don't have an original version of the virus to assay to really understand it. You know th- there's been a lot that could be attributed to inflation of numbers. There've been some fraudulent numbers, so the the water is super muddy on this one, but. In comparison to, say, the Justinian plague, the Black Death, the Spanish flu, how, like, how does this rate, like, in the in terms of those three alone?
1: Um, well, those those three or or four, depending on you, how you categorize the uh, the Black plague and the Black Death. Um, how to put this? Uh, this plague has been so minor our ancestors wouldn't have noticed.
0: Wouldn't have noticed.
1: Correct. They would have thought it was just a slightly bad flu season.
0: And, and even, even at its peak, and I want to say 2019, beginning of 2020, flu seemed to have just disappeared.
1: Yes, that is um, interesting. And I suspect that a little of that might be honest, might just be due to people being around less folks, being out in public less. But probably most of that is that flu was also uh, assumed to be COVID, but simply untested.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Now, with with uh, viruses in general, the thing that I remember about them coming from, and this is coming from, eighth, I want to say eighth grade biology class, is that they, and, and no surprise, one of the things that was shared with us by our teacher was, there's not going to be a cure for the common cold, which is uh, coronavirus 29 EE. There is no cure for that because viruses mutate. Yeah. So my question is, how do we think we can actually vaccinate against them? Aren't we just vaccinating from like previous strains?
1: Yeah, no, it's um. it's it. So a proper vaccine um, will in the vast majority of cases, we're talking 90 some percent at least, Actually prevent you from catching a disease, Ooh. right? Or right. at the least, if you do catch it, enable you to fight it off well, right? Yeah. And we're talking, you know, no deaths, no hospitalizations at, le- at the at the minimum, and that's that's using the uh, new version of, of vaccine definitions that they put in the dictionary in the last two years. Uh, provably, I mean, literally, uh, Merriam-Webster and such were editing their definitions live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ever-moving goalposts, uh, yes, I think, but, that, that's my opinion of it.
1: But um, the reason I think that what I mentioned about the flu is because I had the flu and I was out of work on quarantine as if I had COVID for three weeks straight, even though at the time I didn't have COVID, I, I had the flu. But the our county required me to, to stay home and, and in quarantine, even though I tested negative.
0: Now, something that we share in common is we we have a background in security work. Oh, yeah. And, and th- I think that's that's kind of where we got on the topic somehow. I think that was our on-ramp to it was uh, like the flu, COVID, and, you know, when this hit, when things kind of shut down and what that was like. Um, kind of going back into history now, if our ancestors wouldn't have even noticed this, what made those other three... Like so noticeable.
1: Well, um, now there were there were others, of course, but uh, the Spanish flu was noticeable because the death rate, depending on the source that you go with, um, so so if we go the death rate of people who contracted the flu, right? It's right. not the same as the amount of people on the planet who died. Right. Right. But the people who caught the Spanish flu and then died of it was somewhere between between 10 and 20%, that's, that's a noticeable problem. That would mean that if you had a family of 10 people like you and your uncles and cousins and stuff, right. And your parents, a 10th of you die and the same is true for everyone, you know, or mm-hmm. a fifth, you'll, you'll notice that is, that is a, that is a bad plague. Right. Right. Um, and that's really the mildest of these that we're talking about.
0: Oh, what was the, uh, what was the extreme end of it?
1: Uh, probably the Justinian plague or the initial outbreak outbreak of the Black Death. Um, it's hard to say because we don't have tons of sources from the Justinian plague. Those are mostly um, concentrated in a few cities, so I think it would be hard to say what was happening in rural areas. Right, right. So the people in the cities were writing that it was creeping across the countryside and hitting small towns and villages too, but. How accurate their information was, I I couldn't say. Um, But the death rate, if you caught the Justinian Plague, was over 90%. Now, not everyone caught it.
0: Right. Now, what exactly was the Justinian Plague?
1: um, Basically, it was probably an early version of the Black Death mixed with uh, Problem Unknown. Uh, I say that because it had a unique characteristic. It otherwise matched the later Black Death, but the unique characteristic was, when you contracted the Justinian plague, um, towards the end, towards the period when you were about to die, you would go mad with fever and go like running through the streets.
0: Okay, so it was it was the fever that caused the madness. Obviously, I mean, you know, the brain really can't take that much heat.
1: But it didn't do that with the later Black Death.
0: And what so the these bl- were
1: animated people like up energized who were out of their minds with fever and contagious.
2: Whoa. Oh, wow.
1: So I, I read a firsthand account of a guy who lived through the Justinian plague, and he described uh, them. Uh, uh, he was a government official. He described um, trying to keep up with the deaths and disposing of the bodies. So they, they couldn't bury them fast enough. So they tried burning the bodies. They couldn't do that quickly enough, so they finally used the city guard towers as, uh, like, grain silos to store bodies in them.
0: Oh, um, I, imagine, I imagine the smell coming from the tower must have been pretty horrible.
1: Oh, oh yeah. And, and so he describes this, and so he's a first-hand account uh, witness talking about entire families dying, like an entire extended family, every member dead of the plague. Uh, as as the as the norm for what that plague did. so it's what's why I said the death rate of those who contracted it was over ninety percent because he's telling you that extended families of a dozen or two dozen people all died
0: and And this happened the disease was named for uh, was it uh, the Pope at the time?
1: Uh, the emperor, uh, emperor the okay. the eastern Roman Empire emperor who who almost actually restored the full Roman Empire. He was probably the last guy to, to try um he had reconquered the bulk of italy uh sicily i think he'd gotten most of north africa back like they were well on their way uh and then this plague hit and it spent over a year creeping across the empire that started in alexandria egypt and continued on uh you know hitting towns and cities and so the guy writing described this they knew it was coming they tried all kinds of things they um tried quarantining They tried treating the sick with different medicines and seeing if anything had better outcomes. The very few people who survived catching it, uh, they tried like mimicking what they did uh, as a treatment. Um, I think there was one guy he mentioned who had like basically plunged into a river and then he lived. Uh, And so they were like, well, maybe that helped with the fever. So they tried that out. You know, they they were approaching this scientifically. They wiped out pests in the city because they thought perhaps rags, uh, rats uh, were carrying it.
0: Uh, hence the term plague rat.
1: Oh no no that's not why there's the term but the Justinian plague they thought that might have been the source so they killed all the rats they could find.
2: Oh wow okay.
1: And so they now, were approaching this in a very in a very modern ooh. scientific way.
0: So they they were they were basically testing hypotheses then yeah and trying to see what would work what didn't and did they actually have a theory or so or anything demonstrable or reproducible
1: no they were na- they were not able to solve it um and oh, like wow. i said in the major cities you're dealing with um, mass die-off of the people who caught it um and, and you know this is a. Prior or after this, those cities' populations never recovered. About a century later, you have the rise of Islam, and the and the population just wasn't there uh, to to like you know, defend defend the land they'd previously occupied. Because you
2: put
0: up a resistance, basically.
1: Well, I mean, imagine if you had a city with um, half a million to a million people in it, like Constantinople, or you right. have a smaller city with like a hundred thousand people in it, and then after this plague. And a century of attempted growth later, you've got thirty thousand people in that city that once had a hundred thousand, or you've got you know a hundred thousand people or one hundred fifty thousand in a city that once held a million. Um, these these are the kind of numbers. I mean, that's just the amount of soldiers you can even draw from that population is dramatically reduced.
0: Right. Yeah. So so no no real um, no real opposition to uh, any kind of like invader, whether they're hostile or benevolent.
1: I mean, they they certainly tried, and they were effective in some battles, but they just didn't have the population to, like, man all of the defenses for, that they had previously.
0: Yeah, they were kind of like a, a stretch too thin and overrun mm-hmm. pretty easily. Yeah. And what was the point of origin of this plague? Do we know that?
1: What... The, what the author I read said was that they thought it came from Alexandria, Egypt, but that he was pretty sure that that wasn't the actual um, origin point. That was just the origin point within the Empire. So with, within the Roman Empire or the Eastern Roman Empire, um, that was where it started, but he thought it came from further east.
2: Wow. Holy crap.
0: And, I mean, just just thinking, let's just say that... Um, From the point of origin, let's just, for the sake of argument, say that it was right there from Imperial Rome, and it just kind of spontaneously began, because I think back then we didn't have labs with uh, live viruses in them that could be experimented on, we didn't have uh, proper hermetic seals, like those kinds of rooms back then. Just starting from there, how long was the creep?
1: Um, it was over uh, it was over a year that it went from Alexandria to uh, to Constantinople. So that's from Egypt to Turkey today.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Now, that, that's only a year. Yeah. I I kind of just because I, I thought, you know, travel would be a little slower because we're talking horse and wagon t- uh, type of days. That um, it it would have been a, it would have taken at least you know maybe like a bare minimum about three to five years but we're we're saying it's only one year
1: oh oh yeah and and to be clear travel during the period of the Roman Empire was much faster than you're thinking um, uh, for two reasons one of which uh, really the primary reason that doesn't get enough attention is that the Roman Empire very rarely strayed from um, navigable waters whether it be rivers or uh, 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 streams or the Mediterranean. And Mm. so that meant that they could actually travel much faster um, via water. So it would only take you during the right season, you know, weather dependent. um, It might only take you uh, three months to get from um, at the height of the Roman Empire from like Palestine to Rome on a ship. And they also had um, a pretty good road system, larger than, um, I think, any modern highway system. Maybe the U.S. is bigger. I've, I looked it up a while ago. I'd have to check. But they're, they're comparable in size. Um, and so this meant that soldiers, but also people with wagons and horses and stuff, could move much quicker than they would over just open country uh, with level graded roads and bridges and stuff.
0: Okay, that that's kind of where my my mind went was uh open country leveled roads. I'd completely forgotten about like travel along uh rivers, lakes, things like that. I completely uh spaced on that point. But yeah, we're talking like if you're traveling by boat on- along a river that will take you from point A to you know generally a port of point B. Yeah, that that could be that could be done fairly quickly. Yeah. Cuz I think uh for for most of the if memory serves me correctly i think even for most of the viking longboats that set uh, set sail from like scandinavia to the british isles it only took them about maybe maybe 3 weeks to get there maybe 12 12 days or something like that at the most if it was if it, if the winds were in their favor
1: right and and you know uh and also they were the Vikings weren't using the best sailing ships. They were using good ships, but they weren't designed to utilize the wind as heavily as as other styles of ship. So they wouldn't have been as fast as you could go. Right? right. Um, and they also weren't using um, fully crewed galley style ships either, um, which could actually rotate crew, so they could keep rowing for longer periods of time. Uh, the Vikings were ridiculous rowers, and you can tell because of their bones. Uh, Mm. There's a cemetery in England that was, well, a battle cemetery, so not like with grave markers, (laughs) but uh, a place where a bunch of Vikings died, and they could tell they were Vikings because they had overdeveloped bones in their upper bodies and Mm. underdeveloped bones in their legs.
0: Uh, So unlike unlike today, like, I see this along uh, Cooper River, which is like just blocks away from me on any given weekend i can go out there especially this time of year i can see these uh these guys in these really long boats and they're they're in rowing competitions Mm -hmm. so and and i see these types of people like at my gym they'll be on rowing machines but they're actually using their legs to push while their arms pull Mm -hmm. so and i'm thinking in, in a boat like that you're sitting on what is essentially a sort of like a box style bench, this thing is not built for comfort, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and they're, they're really just kind of pulling not evenly, but in kind of one direction. And they keep doing that. Um, If they're seated most of the time, but their upper bars are active that, that's something I can actually uh, that I can understand. But galley ships, you had crews that could rotate out and it, it would, you know, save energy on this group that just left, and the other group would be expending energy still rowing if the winds weren't favorable.
1: Well, and, and also on galleys, even if you didn't rotate crew, the sheer number of rowers, you know, a galley, you're dealing with, like, 300 rowers. That, that's a lot more force than, like, 30 to 60 guys on a longship. Mm-hmm. I mean, some longships were, were bigger, could have more crew, Absolutely. But as far as, like, your ability to project force, the speed you could possibly travel, you know, the Vikings weren't the fastest that you could possibly be for for the tech at the time.
0: So with the Vikings, um, their speed would have been counted in more like uh, shorter burst sprints rather than longer runs.
1: Well, that and also their ships were really were quite seaworthy, so I'd rather take a Viking longship in the open sea than most galleys. Um, uh, as far as, like, storms and that kind of thing. But uh, but as far as just, I want to get from point A to point B in fairly calm waters, yeah, their, their ships weren't the very best for that. And you can tell that they knew that because they built other kinds of ships.
2: Right, right.
0: So, get, getting back to the sea travel, or this You know rivers, seas whatever whatever uh they were using to get from point a to point b this took less time than just traveling over land because i know horses need rest they also need food right you can't drive them forever as a matter of fact if i'm not mistaken horses can go um about how many miles per day before they really need to stop and rest here
1: um, I don't know depending on like the breed of horse and like the terrain and a few other factors but the what I've read it tends to be again like there's pretty wide range there but they can generally go further than humans so Ooh. call it um, 36 or more miles depending on the breed and like uh, several factors like how well fed the horse is, how much water is available, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but certainly further than a human. A human, on average, uh, from in the past, modern humans would be screwed. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, about about 24 miles, probably, in, in favorable terrain for a human. Much, much slower if you were, like, trying to go through a swamp or walk along a
0: beach. Right. So you're, ta- you're talking about, let's well, say... Uh, I know. I think uh, Bob the Builder on his channel he tried he tried to actually look at. Um, I think it was the Dungeons and Dragons Player's Guide, and he tested like how long he could walk, both unladen and laden, mm-hmm. and it 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 about whipped him. Yeah, like like the max distance about whipped him, and you're still you're still having to. And we're we're talking like in a period of about 16 hours which is a little that's in great conditions that's everything going your way um say about what uh 100 maybe about 100 pounds of gear on your back and then you still have to find a spot to make camp you still have to get food you still have to get you know six to eight hours of sleep then you get up you have to pack all that back up then you have to you know make the next 24 miles you're talking if you're talking 24 miles you're looking at an average of about two miles an hour
1: um three three, three again in
0: favor right so about three-ish miles per hour in favor favorable conditions favorable terrain and yeah that does not leave you a lot of time to prepare anything
1: uh no when i was younger i hiked in non-favorable terrain um like there were some swampy chunks of the hike uh some like pretty steep hills and rocky formations and stuff and uh also there was, there was a beach chunk that we cut across as a shortcut that was a mistake um <laughs> that's that slowed us down actually we should have gone the long way but uh the uh i think the group i was with which was mostly uh American high school and college students, um, They we averaged, I think, nine miles a day. Again, not in favorable terrain.
0: So from, say...
1: And we were carrying all the food and water purification stuff and uh, tents and shelter and whatnot on us. Like, this was a... We were out without any um, resupply. Everything we had for the week was on our backs
0: oh wow and th- now you take you take that compare it to the horse the horse can go about you said what about 36 37 miles per day
1: yeah i mean further if you want to kill it <laughs> you can
0: <laughs> yeah okay so saying we want to keep the horse here yeah we'll, we'll say about uh 26 to about 35 miles per day that way the horse can rest and eat get some water
1: it could again depending on the terrain you could you could get almost 50 miles out of it without harming the horse like what for example what roman messenger's services did is they'd ride a horse from station to station and then swap horses
0: right That way, they
1: wouldn't kill the horse but they could push it further than you would if you just had one horse and kept traveling on that one horse
0: yeah those uh those way stations i've seen those in um I've seen those in a few westerns, but not many.
1: Yeah, the Pony uh, and, Express in the U.S. Uh, worked on a similar principle,
0: right? So I w- I was kind of looking at that uh, about how many places actually had those way stations along the along the roads.
1: I mean the whole the whole empire, all the major cities to one another, um, because remember uh, this is this is a massive empire that has to get messages back and forth usefully to the far ends. And then also, you know, they're building stuff in not if not modern factories, but still in production lines. So, like, if the if the emperor want or a governor wants to order uh, a thousand helmets for new soldiers, he would be writing like to a specific place and going, mm-hmm. "Hey, I want to order a thousand helmets," and there would be dedicated craftsmen who'd build them.
0: Right. So uh, so, on foot. Probably about maybe maybe ten to twenty four miles per day on horseback about 36 to fifty how what are we covering in uh, in ships here?
1: Well, if you figure like we can actually look up let me check here so um. In ideal weather, seventeen mm-hmm. knots, or loosely speaking, uh, okay. I don't want kilometers. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not a Canadian. Let me see here. There we go. Um, the fastest they could hit would be about sixteen miles an hour but that would be in like super ideal conditions it looks like an average speed would be closer to like five to ten
0: okay so five to ten miles an hour give that about like 10 hours yeah you're still you're still getting along a little bit faster than you would overland on on horse or via carriage
1: right and that horse isn't like hauling a bunch of stuff
0: right Unless you have like a a wagon being pulled behind it.
1: And and then the variation um, as far as like the Roman era triremes and and biremes, you're dealing with um, seven to nine knots under ore. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And so they could even and that's and that's not sailing they also had sails and stuff, so their oar speed was a little bit faster but not didn't have the same uh, max it looks like and another source I'm finding indicates possibly a lot faster depending on a few design choices with the boat um, but I got the speed of ancient sailing ships actually by just reading um. Uh, first-hand accounts of people who went sailing during the period. And so, um, uh, you know, there's a couple accounts that are widely accessible. I bet half of um, the people in the country or or their uh, relatives have a Bible in their homes. Well, you are going to be able to find a two first-hand accounts in there of uh, ancient sailing, one of which is when Paul is arrested and going to Rome. And he has to switch ships, actually. So they go to one port, switch to a new ship, get on that ship, sail to multiple other locations, go to a place where they probably should have stayed for the winter because the winds weren't favorable anymore. They decide to chance it. They get shipwrecked. And there's, there's this whole story. But my point is you actually get the sailing times because they're telling you how quickly they went from one city to the next city.
0: Yeah, okay, that's that's something I hadn't considered. Now, here here's one thing I do want to know when it comes to sailing. Okay, these kinds of ships, they look, from the outside, they look colossal. Once you get into them, you find out it's, it's pretty uh, tight quarters. About how quickly did uh, ship crews catch and spread any kind of diseases back then, especially these diseases that we're talking about right now?
1: Well, you know, I think probably as far as the Justinian plague, it wasn't so much the ship crews um, because the plague didn't spread fast enough. If it was just, you know, Phil the sailor caught it in Alexandria and then went to, um, you know, went to Constantinople and then shared it with other people and died, uh, it, would have been, it would have been in like three months, right? Mm-hmm. But I think because the disease caught you so quickly, you were so clearly sick that it couldn't spread that fast because by the time, like three months of sailing later, you were dead.
2: Right. Okay.
1: If you see what I'm saying. So I don't think it could spread that quickly because literally people couldn't travel far enough while they still appeared healthy.
0: Right. So. So Phil, the sailor, would he have even gotten on the boat?
1: I mean, he might have, but then it would have been really apparent that he was quite ill, you know, quite soon into the journey. Mm -hmm. They would never have made it, you know, to the capital, you know, call it three months out. They would have been quite probably concerned for their own lives um, within a matter of a week or two.
0: So do you think they would be tossing Phil overboard into the water? here's our quarantine (laughs)
1: splash (laughs) or themselves taking a ship's boats again we know from ancient accounts that they did include um lifeboats of a sort on the ship they often Uh, they often wouldn't hold like all the passengers but they would typically hold the crew
0: so arguably to quarantine old Phil here you could just put them on a lifeboat and then drag the lifeboat behind it
1: could be yeah but the point is that that there is no way um that that crew if that hypothetical scenario had happened mm. would have lived to make it to the capital
0: right so once they caught it they would have all died before ever reaching the, their final destination yeah oh jeez that that would that would be sort of like um like the movie outbreak comes to mind where you have um that one guy catches I guess I guess they were making a disease to be an analog of Ebola. Uh, he's a little under the weather on the plane. The minute he gets off the plane, he passes out, and then dies later in in the hospital. And then it's just uh like it, from there, it, it's an it's truly what the film's title suggests. It's an outbreak, and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. But here's here is something else. That I wanted. I wanted to just kind of put this out there, um, because I moved up here to the Northeast in 2009, and around that time, swine flu, if I'm not mistaken, was was big. Sure. Like it was all over the news, but there wasn't a single lockdown. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. There were more deaths attributed to swine flu than than covid in its first year and there if i recall correctly there was there was a vaccine and it was pulled after 75 people
1: died from it i don't know about the vaccine for that mostly because i didn't take how to phrase this it is it is i think foolish to panic over relatively minor public health emergencies um I had COVID it almost killed me uh not when I had the flu but about a year after that um I was in the hospital I was on oxygen for like two or three months afterwards like yeah it was it was pretty bad but worrying about it wouldn't have changed the outcome at all and I have seen no evidence that getting vaccinated ahead would have changed that outcome at all either
0: yeah, that's that's with, one with thing.
1: Specific vaccine. In general, I actually, you know, I'm okay with like the smallpox vaccine. That kills but one in fifty thousand people who get it, but it's worth it. You don't want to get smallpox.
0: <laughs> well, even even polio, we we go. I think we we discussed that too. Uh, Doctor Jonas Salk uh, finds this very weak strain of polio, and experiments with it, finds out that this very weak strain of polio can be attacked by antibodies Mm -hmm. from the body's immune response. And then anytime a normal strain of polio finds its way into the body, you know, the antibodies are like, buddy, you came to the wrong neighborhood. And the infection is prevented any, or any further infection is prevented. Right. But, and he released that to the world. For free. In comparison, though, like flu vaccines, they only they only um, inoculate you against the past. What is it, five to seven strains? If uh, if I recall correctly. Um,
1: you, you have to remember that the flu vaccines are also not in any traditional sense a vaccine. They're not. Correct. Yeah. Um, they won't make it so you never get the flu. Uh, they'll try to make it so you won't get a few specific strains for a short period of time. Um, And that's largely a waste. I mean, if you were like uh, 90 and you wanted to extend your life and you were really worried about catching the flu, okay, there might be a reason you might want to try that kind of treatment out. But in general, this isn't... I mean, how can I put this? The flu vaccine specifically has had effectiveness rates below 70 percent which mm-hmm. is uh, i'll put it this way um would you say that 70 or uh, that 70 percent uh, or even 30 percent of all the people you know let's say 30 percent um have had the flu in a given year
0: mm, not really no
1: right so what that means 70 percent effectiveness is that 30 percent of the people who got the vaccine caught the flu So, and now that's not every year some years they do better but that's not uh that's a, that's a pretty leaky vaccine that's not that's not really helpful and that isn't so different from the general population
3: mm-hmm. like that's
1: not provably a benefit right right um and like right now i know a bunch of people there are a bunch in public office uh, somewhat hilariously uh, who are getting COVID over and over and over? It sucks that they're getting sick. I don't, I don't want that. But right. mostly, these were people who pushed COVID vaccines, who have now had COVID two, three, four times. In some cases, catching it as quickly as a week or two after they got over the last time. Wow!
0: And um, during the last administration, when this, um, when this initially came to market, so many of them were were saying, you know, I'm not taking that. It's, you know, th- you know, he's trying to kill us all and things like that. Then once the administration changes, the tune changes as well,
1: I've noticed. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um and and now as far as like other plagues though, so when we talk about the Black Death or the Black Pla- or the bubonic plague, um I would make a differentiation some historians do. The Black Death is the first major outbreak of the Black Plague in Europe, right? Hmm it was different than the later ones not in symptoms exactly but in how it spread Mm -hmm. um, because it didn't match the migration patterns or seasonal mating cycles of rats so So this
0: this time it wasn't
1: not spread by rats
0: okay so this time it wasn't really the rodents
1: right right so in the case of the justinian plague we don't have enough data uh to know Although probably not, because they thought of that and actually tried fixing that problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but in the case of the initial outbreak of the Black Death, we have pretty good evidence that it wasn't rat born because no one in the period is writing about rat falls, which we'll get to later, but that's a, that's a phenomenon that later outbreaks they did write about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and also, it spread at a steady rate. I don't remember the rate. It's something like 17 or 21 miles a day. Loosely, how far a person could walk um, in a day, steadily, throughout the year, throughout the, like, well, like two years it was spreading, um, regardless of the season.
0: Okay, so from uh, Justinian plague here, the symptoms could ramp up to maddening fever.
1: And where you'd be running around, yeah
0: right because at that point you're having like waking nightmare hallucinations i imagine at that point yeah and with the black death itself what were what were the symptoms of that
1: well it's the same it's the same as all the other bubonic plague outbreaks uh in that you're dealing right with fever with big um basically like boil looking things all over your body Mm. uh, especially concentrated around the lymph nodes yeah so like uh like your your armpits and that kind of thing and they would turn if i recall correctly um black as they which isn't normal if you've ever had a boil that's a bad sign yeah
0: that's that's necrotic there
1: (laughs) yeah um and you you know you'd suffer from high fever and death it's uh and and i believe they also had breathing problems i'd have to check on that um but yeah it's it's not a good way to go um and by the time you had symptoms, you had all—you were already contagious, or or at the edge of it. And so, once you got sick, like people, we have we have we have stories, and, and you don't even need to read those; you can just think about it. You suddenly noticed you've got the symptoms of the Black Death. What do you do? Do you go home and tell your family? Because just by doing that, you could kill them. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Or worse, uh, do you do you abandon your children? Or if one of them shows symptoms, but you aren't. Do you leave
0: right yeah, that's not the, that's a bad situation to be in
1: because the initial outbreak of the black death again of the people who caught it not of the total population right of the people who caught it killed something like 70 to 90 percent of everyone who caught it um possibly higher because we do have stories of whole villages dying so a village right is typically uh, call it 100 to 350, 450 people. If the whole village dies, literally, uh, that's a very high percentage rate. Or just that village didn't was unlucky.
0: Right. Yeah. It's like um, pretty much rolling a crit fail when uh, when that plague sweeps through.
1: But, right. Or or it was
2: saving throws.
1: Right. Um, so the Justinian de- the Justinian plague, you know, 90 to 99 percent. Uh, the Black Death, somewhere between probably 70 and 90 percent. Um, um, if you if you caught it, again, some areas weren't affected. Um, uh, some because of, I don't know, uh, Miracle and Act of Grace, where it just didn't spread, in other cases because of human action. Uh, right. Where, um, like, we do have stories of later outbreaks in um, northern Italy of the bubonic plague, so here I'm differentiating that from the Black Death in that it did match the, the later ones, the seasonal migration patterns of rats, mm-hmm. and over time, over generations, became marginally less lethal. Why? I suspect that the first version was probably airborne and being spread by people just walking around. Right. Whereas when you're dealing with it potentially being spread by like lice on the backs of, uh, or lice and fleas on the backs of rats, um, that idea. Um, you have to be in proximity to rats to to catch it right so it so so you're limited by their them and 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 also you can see uh that their migration patterns like when the rats were breeding uh and expanding in numbers you had expansions in the plague and then you'd have it drop off like when it was really cold out or that kind of thing
0: and and this this would go right into you, the
2: uh rat fall am i correct
1: yeah yeah so rat falls uh people actually wrote in the later outbreaks of the black death uh, of the bubonic plague here uh, about rat falls which is there being so many rats that it looked like a waterfall like coming down uh the edge of of like steps and that kind of thing oh wow and so they wrote about it they described this phenomenon as strange so that was not normal rat behavior and the, and the people during, during the later outbreaks wrote about it and drew now, pictures in some cases.
0: Just, uh, just your opinion here. What, what do you think caused that?
1: The, the rat falls? hmm um, I don't know. Um, it could be that the rats themselves were starting to get sick um, in the way that, the, um, that they weren't behaving normally you know if you're a rat with a fever you might run out somewhere where you would normally evade right you might not go hang out in daylight in the middle of the road but if you are mentally out of it then then maybe you would
0: right okay so rats you, just acting uncharacteristically they could have been infected themselves
1: yeah or, or 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 infected with something else at the same time you know I don't I don't know they were, obviously no one was testing them <laughs> uh, but but they were they were behaving and and you can still see rat falls today in areas where they're like a heavy concentration of them and then you disturb them
3: Mm -hmm.
1: right if there's only like one way out oh yeah they will all go for it but um that's not normal you won't normally see that in general rat behavior you have to like create the situation (laughs) no um that
0: sounds horrifying
1: yeah Yeah. So, But there were um, cities and areas that were heavily hit by later outbreaks of the plague that actually uh, successfully contained it. Uh, There was one in Northern Italy, which was actually pretty heavily hit in general, like had a high die-off. That city had like three deaths of the plague, and that was it. It was like one household. They basically walled them in and let them die. Nice? No, but they did die, so it was clearly the right call. There was no saving them. I... You know, I hope they brought them food and water. I don't know. But that but all of that family died and that was it. They stopped that outbreak. And then after that, they um, they would literally kill you if you tried to come to their city unless you stayed in basically a quarantine tent outside the city walls for like I forget if it was a week or two weeks. There was a set period in which to see whether or not you had the plague. And then then you could come in.
0: And we're we're kind of revisiting that to an extent today because uh coming coming into any like say if i were to go from here back to my hometown i i don't know how it is there right now but i know at one point it was like this you would have to quarantine for up to two weeks whether you were sick or not
1: yes but there's a very big difference between our version of quarantine and what that city was doing, or what the government of China is doing, the True. government of China will wall you in and let you starve uh, or be dehydrated to death. Um, there is video evidence of them doing this to over a million people um, a couple months ago, where Chinese people, a few of them, were able to like stream to the to to access the internet and share. Just like you can hear wailing and people crying and like standing on their balconies, uh, basically asking for help uh, because the the government of China locked them all in because there was an outbreak of COVID in their city. And that was the Chinese government's solution.
0: Was to wall them in and starve them to death.
1: Lock lock them in, yeah. Now, I don't know if they all starved or if the government of China decided to bring them food. Uh, but they weren't bringing them food for an extended period for at least two weeks
0: oh man and and i can tell you right now starving to death or dying from dehydration you don't want to go from either one of those that that's a pretty painful way and, and slow way to go yeah
1: so you know that's 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 a thing that china uh would do and in the case of this medieval city right They would straight up kill you if you tried to enter their city and didn't go through their quarantine procedures like oh you're trying to come in and force your way no
0: not today pal (laughs) not not today not ever my goodness So,
1: relatively speaking ours aren't so bad but here's the thing normally historically you quarantine the sick even that city did actually they quarantined the sick uh household And it was only after they were like, okay, we don't have the plague anywhere in our city now, we can't let anyone else in, that they switched to quarantining the presumably well who were coming to, to trade or visit them.
0: Right. Uh, com- compared to today, the, the quarantine measures don't seem that harsh, but there were some worrisome aspects to it.
1: Oh, I mean, the ones in Australia and in China are notable in their... Um, both cruelty and stupidity um also some of some of some of the governments of europe have made some interesting choices in that way but um yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't want to i certainly want to wouldn't want to live in australia uh given given some of the um videos i've seen there of both people going to both police going to people's homes and of people being rounded up and kept in quarantine camps for Extended periods, long past when they could possibly have COVID. Um, that's not uh, that's not a good thing. No. And you and you see this um, in China as well with them. You know, physically apprehending people. You even see them like taping the guys uh, like arms and legs together, uh, so he can't move. But more than one. Like you, if you're if you're bored, YouTube hasn't buried all of their videos yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They'll probably bury this one for mentioning it. <laughs>
1: um, so so it's not it's not a matter of is it happening? It it certainly is. The question is of scale, and in the case of China, you can't trust whatever they say about scale. I mean, you can you can tell because of the leaks about how they're treating the um, in the west of their country the uh, ethnic minority Muslims, um, where they are harvesting their organs. Uh, typically unwillingly, uh where they're putting them in re-education camps and sending uh Chinese party officials to sleep with their wives. Whoa. Uh, in their homes while the husbands are away being re-educated, you know, for the state.
2: Oh,
0: oh that's like oh. and
1: and this is this has been this has been a news story really over the last three or four years. And it's not Really getting the attention, I think that it, it deserves. Uh, but this is a, a people group of probably five or six million that the, that China is doing this to. Jeez.
0: As it's no wonder they face some of the uh, some of the protests in in Hong Kong. What was it last year? Year before?
1: Um, I think that's because of the things they're doing to Hong Kong. Uh, True. But this is why. They were they were having uh, multiple terrorist attacks uh, for years by people uh, by, by by this people group uh, basically out of revenge or trying to bring attention to what was being done to them where you'd have you know machete and knife and bomb attacks because China has a fairly tight hold on guns for the populace and wow. has for probably 60 70 years maybe a little longer Um <clears throat> but machete and bomb attacks oh yeah no they were they were doing that for quite a while like at train stations and stuff mm-hmm. yeah
0: my goodness that's yeah that's why that's why I'm telling people like don't give up your guns you know I mean I'm Norse Pagan that means weapons are part of my religion thanks to the Havamal. so I definitely have a religious objection to uh, giving up any kind of self-defense, laws be damned. But especially in that case, that's like, here's the reason why you don't do that.
1: Did you happen to see that Twitter thread uh, last week about spears and sword use in ancient warfare?
0: I, I think that was... Was that in reference to a tabletop RPG? Yeah. Towards making it a little more realistic? I did see that, and I was like... Finally, this gets addressed. I never really thought much of it at the time, but the, the longer I watched, uh, stuff on like shadowversity or Scalagram, uh, what they always mentioned that the spear was more easily produced. It was cheap. You could arm many people very quickly. You could train them very quickly. The, the techniques were simple I thought. Why? Why is that not? I know everybody wants to have that sword or that battle axe, but why did? Why can I not find people who will say, you know what? Let me uh, take this quarter staff and put a spear tip on it. I never could find a player that wanted that, mm-hmm. but now, now it's it was starting to make more sense. And when that thread came out, I was like, okay, someone else is finally thinking of this. But uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, because. Um... I was talking about that with some of the guys who are, who are interested in history, and there was a period where the spear was the primary weapon of war, where actually, like, the champions or the elite troops would be armed with spears, right? Um, so this is, like, uh, classic Greece, or this is when uh, the Philistines were uh, a fairly ascendant power, um, or the same is true uh, to an extent of, like, the Assyrian Empire, Right. So this is a period in which uh, spears are going to typically be made of bronze, the spearheads. Right. Right. Well, the same is true of swords. Bronze makes swords, but not like the best swords in terms of like the apex of capabilities. Mm -hmm. Bronze is um, typically heavier um, as far as like uh, uh, um, the, the, the the stuff you produce with it, if you still want it to have similar durability. Um, and so when um, when iron forging into lower low grade steel, because the moment you forge iron you're making some amount of steel. Um right. once that kind of took off by the era of the Roman Empire, right, the primary weapon of both the Romans and the Germans is the is the sword. Different yeah. shapes of sword right. different lengths. But that they switched They switched uh, from the classic period of antiquity to the era of the Roman Empire, where where now uh, swords were the prime weapon.
0: So we're talking more like the Roman gladius, which I think the blade length was probably about, what, uh, maybe two, maybe three feet?
1: Uh, sh- uh, shorter, I think. I think it, you're talking like 18 to 24 inches.
0: Oh wow! So only like maybe a foot and a half to two feet. Yeah. So we're talking like sting.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> but the Romans were typically using this right with um, a pretty large shield that they could bash with as well, mm. and would be striking straight thrusts with this uh, sword, which mm. is different from how the um, how the larger swords were used. And then over time, the empire incorporated other shapes and sizes of sword. Uh, especially as they started introducing cavalry mm. um, uh, they always had allied cavalry but after eventually towards the end of the empire they realized they needed their own
0: now with uh, with swords being what they are and I, I'm kind of I'm kind of like thinking about this for a moment I've noticed also in the in the channels that I mentioned before they were saying like swords were a status symbol. Like, if you had a sword, that meant you were wealthy enough to afford one.
1: Oh, that's actually what put me on this this thought process. Right. So, so um, now, swords did eventually fall out of favor once we got guns that were effective enough. Mm-hmm. But also, technically, in medieval Europe, they fell out of favor in the sense that knights wouldn't use swords against each other normally, other than, like, in competitions, or mm-hmm. if they were both wearing, like, gambesons which is a kind of a padded armor, but typically for a wealthy man like that, stylized. So you could wear it as a fashion statement as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, padded armor uh, of that sort for um, a commoner wouldn't look as good. Uh, but the reason was because a knight in any kind of plate armor isn't really vulnerable to sword hits. In fact, you're more likely to damage your sword than damage him. Um, well.
0: Oh. Uh, and
1: here, again, something. you could possibly get in a gap, but what you want for that isn't a sword. You actually want um, uh, a, a long dagger,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? Um, and so, knights fighting each other would use things like poleaxes, maces, uh, flails, um, uh, morning stars. They were trying to bludgeon or punch through the armor with spikes, right? Or or use a long dagger to get in gaps in the armor or through the eye slit. And the reason for this was swords were highly effective weapons, but um, not against someone in full armor. Then, once gun technology took off enough that full plate became not the norm for knights, Mm -hmm. swords started becoming more common again as far as battlefield weapons with them against each other, because now the armor wouldn't protect you entirely from sword strikes.
0: Well, Uh, all the way
1: through, like, um, basically the American civil war
0: that, yeah, I was about to, I I mean, you beat me to the punch there. That was, that was one of those things I was about to say, like cavalrymen, uh, would often have a saber of some kind, but here, here's my question when it, when it comes to, to that type of weapon, particularly in that era, because I know we had, uh, even in that era, we had smallpox cholera, including an intentional infection of indigenous people uh with smallpox just to just to claim their lands after after they were killed off but going back to the sword for a minute how like how effective was that cavalry saber
1: well i mean very effective in part because you didn't have to reload it and uh certainly prior to the american civil war gun technology In general, there were specific exceptions, but mass-produced weapons uh, that wouldn't explode in your hands, uh, that category, uh, you'd have to uh, reload mid-battle. And if you could just stab the next guy instead of stopping to reload your gun, you're in a much better spot, or slash, which would be more common with a saber. But about the expense, swords weren't that expensive, and I can prove it, uh, in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, because, in Frisia, to be a legal male adult, you had to own a sword. Oh, no kidding. Including all the serfs. All of them. And so and... this is the area of, basically, the Northern Netherlands up to Denmark. Uh-huh. All of the adult men there, to be legal adults, had to own swords. And right this is you're talking um you're talking uh, 900s to 1200s AD
0: wow oh, wow and so, so how about how how what's the age range we're talking here
1: like for an adult yeah i mean up to death so age of inheritance to death so depending on what they're uh, parents decreed. I mean, probably no older or, or no younger than fourteen, but probably sixteen and up.
0: So, let's say on the extreme end of that, fourteen years old, you owned a sword. You were legally considered a, a an adult male. Yep. Damn.
1: And it was required and, because that was the main weapon of war during that period.
0: And it, it, what what's the uh, legal age to own, just say, any any sporting rifle like the uh, Ruger Mini-14? Is it, what, eight, 18 to 21? Kind of depending?
1: Uh, tech It depends on the state, too. I think there are some rifles you can actually own um, but can't like, carry around with you when you're, like, 12.
2: Right, right, yeah. Like, I, I know... Some
1: states, some states, you can. Like, the laws vary on that quite a bit across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, I know of eight-year-olds who own guns. Eight to 12-year-olds.
0: Right, same.
1: So... But my little brother bought a gun years ago that he couldn't legally buy ammunition for. He could buy the gun he was he was he was old enough for that but it used pistol ammunition even though it was a rifle and because he wasn't 21 he wasn't allowed to buy the pistol ammunition
0: oh okay i was like, so, I was kind of like what
1: so it was very silly so other people had to buy ammunition um for him for a gun he could legally own fire carry around etc he just wasn't legally allowed to buy the ammunition
0: oh my goodness yeah that's bureau that's bureaucracy and red tape if ever i've seen it somebody had a do nothing job and they did something (laughs) when they probably shouldn't have. Yeah. So, so now, okay. At the, at that point in time, uh, go, going back to, uh, these, these, uh, Frisians at the time who, you know, 14 to 16 years old became an adult, a legal adult male,
1: Right at the at the young end, right. That's your by by
0: yeah. simply by the simple act of purchasing a sword that didn't require training, it didn't require anything else. Just the mere purchase and ownership of this, and we're including the serfs.
1: Oh yeah, because after during this period, uh, Frisia was intermittently ind- independent, so they did not have nobles over them. They had like local headmen and that kind of thing. But this was an independent, largely Germanic tribe um, who repeatedly fought off people who took over their land um, for uh, an extended period before finally succumbing to being kind of permanently conquered at one point. Um, and so they required you to have these weapons because you had to be ready to show up, essentially, they wouldn't have used this term, of course, uh, but as, as militia it was expected that all the adult men be able to fight and own the weapons to do it and that was why they were required to own swords
0: so e- even then bearing arms was a particularly individual um kind of a thing not a collective kind of thing
1: right and it was required by their society you and have to not not you you should or you may
0: right it was it was required for common defense yeah <laughs> that's wild. that's that, see there's something I did I had no idea even existed. I, I, can, now I want to say this when going back to like this this medieval type quarantine, these would be the types of people who own swords, they would be the, there'd be some of them standing guard at the, you know, village or city walls in case someone new showed up and they could say, whoa, 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 stop right there. Um, you pitch a tent out, you know, out that way about like 200 yards out, sit there for about 14 days and we're satisfied that you're not sick. We'll let you in.
1: Uh, yeah. And of course, um, um, you know, the specific example that I, that I had read about, uh, you're dealing with a walled city in northern Italy where there's a major plague outbreak already, wiping out a lot of the cities around them. Uh, well, wiping right. out villages severely damaging the population in cities. It wasn't typically wiping out whole cities. Villages, though, yeah. Uh, and so this was like an active threat in their immediate region, which mm-hmm. is why they, they did that. That wasn't typical um, across Europe, in fact, in large portions of Europe, until the plague was quite close, uh, life went on as normal because it had to, or you would starve to death.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, you have you have to transport food from the rural areas to the more populated areas and back again. Yeah. Now, well, here's a here's a good question. Uh, since we're we're kind of we're kind of like just sitting in the history a little bit, uh, fresh produce you know, uh, harvested in the fields, gathered, and then, you know, sort of like exported from the farm, imported into the cities about what was the shelf life on something like that?
1: Well, that depends on the item, of course. I mean, um, any kind of basic, loosely speaking, any kind of fruit, you'll have to take an effort to preserve. It's not going to last long. Exactly. Um, but in like a cold cellar, so we're talking like a root cellar or an area uh, dug for it. We're not talking about the high tech stuff that the Byzantines did, because then they they could have kept fruit fresh if they were really, really bored. Um, but that's because the Byzantines, uh, this is Eastern Roman Empire after, uh, at, really after Justinian. Um, they uh, they had these call, these basically houses. I think they were called frigidoriums, and basically mm-hmm. they filled them with ice, and they specifically designed the structure to keep the as the ice as intact as possible throughout the year. And so, in effect, they built refrigeration off natural ice and uh, these really big uh, uh, kind of angular dome uh, buildings. Oh wow! But ignoring their technology, because that was probably mostly for the wealthy. Granted, right. ignoring that, um, you know, you can keep, you know, turnips or uh, uh, root vegetables of various kinds uh, for for a pretty long time in a cool environment, um, without without too much trouble. You can keep grain for longer, um, as long as you have some way to seal it out from like rats or mice getting into it. Or other pests. Um, And so, and then also people would, you know, make stuff like um, cured meats, like, uh, you know, ham and that sort of thing that can keep, that can keep uh, thanks to salt and cold uh, for long periods. And they would do the same thing, you know, with cheeses and different things. So, so you could, you could, you could certainly have food that would last for a, a year or more um you just might have a more boring diet than you'd prefer
2: yeah <laughs> very true yeah so
0: even even with this like we're talking like and the reason I'm bringing kind of all this or I'm asking these questions about all all these many things is because they do all come back to one thing whether you have soldiers on the move on patrol farmers moving food um seafarers moving goods by river or by sea Um, other people moving over land, there's still travel involved and when disease is a factor in this equation, it moves with those migration patterns. Yeah. And you said uh, the, just kind of going back to a previous point, you said it would take about, what was it, maybe, maybe a year for it to really reach Uh, a decent distance saying from like Egypt to what was it? uh, Turkey at the time.
1: Yeah. Well, it became Turkey now. Yeah.
0: Right. So Constantinople. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then from, 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 uh, Constantinople to say, uh, let's say mainland Europe. So Italy, Portugal, Spain, uh, Germany, uh, France, so on, so forth. About how long would that take?
1: Well, uh, a similar amount of time because you're using the same means of conveyance, which is basically—I mean, the 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 not the Justinian plague, and we don't have great sources, I'm aware of, in Western Europe for it. Mm-hmm. Some, but we're talking—you know—we want firsthand accounts of people who actually saw the plague and uh, survived it.
3: Right. You know, that's
1: that's that's what you want, and ideally, people in a position to know what was being done about it right and not just right. random dude out in the country who's a hermit or something <laughs> uh but but for the later for the for the black death uh yeah it was creeping across the countryside if i recall correctly it's something like 17 to 21 miles an hour and it just or, or not an hour per day 17 to 21 miles per day and it just kind of kept that rate which is about the speed of a person walking right um, which is why that and it lacking um, matching seasonal migration patterns of animals, pests, right, mm. is is why, um, and of course some other descriptions is why I think that one was probably airborne by by, by people by sick people coughing and you know moving along,
2: right.
0: And, and what was the survivability rate of? Let's let's say I know right now the survivability rate of COVID is something like ninety nine point nine 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 seven
1: percent. Well, we can work it out. I mean, I mean, because the government of Michigan's actually done a pretty good job of tracking that accurately, um, and you can tell. Like, you can you can check their data, and it's really easy. All you have to do is, you on average, um, a human of our age. Let's ignore. 15-year-olds for a second, mm-hmm. uh, probably knows about 200 people. I mean, right. like, where you know their names and you'd be aware if they died uh, This, this, and you're in somewhat regular contact with them. Right. Okay. Well, the same is true for all of them. hmm So all you have to do is literally write out your list of 200 people, contact each of them, and say, hey... Does anyone you know, has anyone you know directly died of COVID?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And obviously, check if they did. Um, Once you finish your very short survey, right, of your friends and and neighbors and such, you will have just surveyed 40,000 people. Wow. Right? Because that's 200 times 200. Right. And so if you do that, you can actually check the state's data very, very easily,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so um, you'll you'll find that the survival rates, depending on age and region, to a degree, but like just broadly across the population, um, are about one in ten thousand that you die, and everybody oh, else wow. lives.
0: And, and we're not talking comorbidities; we're talking directly, directly dead from this disease yeah okay so whereas tuberculosis kills tons more people than that every year
1: yeah well and and also again we're looking at of the people who catch it who dies Mm -hmm. not of the total population who dies that's obviously going to mess with your numbers Mm -hmm. so of the people who catch covid how many of them die about one in ten thousand now much higher percentages if you are much older or have a bunch of comorbidities, and much lower percentages if you're like a 15year-old kid.
0: Right. Or but, even even in uh, toddlers, infants, and just you know children under the age of 13.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this plague in that way has been merciful. But as plagues go, like I said, I don't think our ancestors would have noticed it happening. Um, if
0: if it were left to their time,
1: yeah, yeah, and they certainly wouldn't have panicked about it because they they observably uh, did not panic about similar levels of disease. They did panic occasionally about things like the Black Plague, or more recently the, splen- the Spanish flu,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? But these are far more lethal,
0: right? So with that, there's a reason to uh, get a little overly cautious there.
1: Potentially. But also, again, <clears throat> if you think about, you know, 200 people, right? And each of them know about 200. If you apply that idea to the past, mm-hmm. that would mean that if you have a disease that, say, half the population catches mm-hmm. and 20% of them die, right? that means that one out of 10 people you know just died. Hmm. You'll notice that. Yeah. Um, but one in 10,000, that's like you might hear of like your aunt's um, nephew on the other side dying or something. Of, you know, the flu, because they wouldn't have known the difference. Right. Well, I mean, that sucks. You're going to probably be sad. You're probably going to go to a funeral. But it's not that's no reason to panic right yeah and so that's that's i think the 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 di- the kind of sharp difference of immediate oh a bunch of people i actually know are actually getting sick and dying of this thing versus maybe one distant relative and a distant friend who died of diseases that are just kind of common and around mhm right like it would suck, but if you knew two people in the same year who died of a heart attack and they were both over 50, it probably wouldn't shock you.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But if you knew if 10% of the people you knew died of heart attacks, oh, no, that, that would get your attention.
0: Yeah. Now, just to, just to kind of put a little perspective on this, I happen to know a couple people who died of heart attacks uh, within the last year. And that doesn't surprise me. It, it, right. It, they were over 50. Um, I, I could tell you they didn't really take care of themselves. And um, one of them had suffered a heart attack previously. And the heart attack that killed him, killed him in his car. Oh. Killed him while, while he was sitting in his car. And it, it was someone else who noticed him kind of, slumped down in his uh in the in the driver's seat and uh yeah it was it was a pretty bad deal uh, i was i was shocked to hear it was who you know i was like don't let it i was sitting there thinking about i was like don't let it be this guy don't let it be this guy and it was yeah. him and i was like oh
1: that happened to another former co-worker of mine same deal died in the car um i think just before his work shift um uh some years ago and then we also had that like with someone staying in a hotel where we had to go check on them, and yep, dead heart attack, uh, oh. as it turned out. Uh, and uh, you know, this 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 thing happens, so that's not surprising, right? No. And no so, it's not
0: surprising at all.
1: And so, if something like COVID existed, but all it did was, like, double the number of heart attacks or something, you'd only be like, wow, that was a crappy year. You wouldn't probably go, oh, no, there's this new disease, unless someone told you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the case with COVID, that in general, based on just normal observation of people you know and people they know, you never would have reached the conclusion that you saw portrayed by most of uh, the nations of the world.
2: (laughs) Right.
0: And now we've got this new new one on the horizon, uh, monkeypox. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh do you do you, okay so if you don't want to catch monkeypox, uh don't go to orgies yeah, definitely that's, uh, that's my health advice uh also just generally don't go to orgies so uh yes
0: <laughs> well let's not engage in the eyes wide shut kind of um you know bohemian grove style uh, let's get it on very yeah. white kind of thing now as i understand it this this isn't just uh, sexually transmitted. It, it can be passed but, from yes, person to person,
1: but it is uh, specifically uh, through fluid contact. Typically. Okay, I don't mean like sexual exchange, but I mean literally like the boils or the pus
3: mm-hmm. That's yeah.
1: fluid. So you could catch it, for example, by changing bed sheets of someone who is sick.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. That you that could happen. Mm-hmm. However, the may, way you usually catch it is by close skin-to-skin contact for reasons we've just discussed.
0: (laughs) Right. Or or for extended periods of time. Like, you definitely don't want to shake the hand of someone that's got, like, maybe a boil or two on it.
1: Uh, Yeah, Yeah. and monkeypox has a pretty distinct look. Um, It's not unlike smallpox. In fact, that's why they're treating it with the vaccine.
2: Mm. uh,
1: For smallpox. Right. Um... But it is, it is um, how to put this? It's been a problem in like one country in Africa, basic, loosely speaking, and uh, a couple adjacent, like uh, their equivalent of counties of, of neighboring nations. So Ooh. a country and a little um, for like 50 years, and it's basically been contained. Like it hasn't really spread beyond there at all. And right. the current outbreak can be traced to two specific events of the kind we just described. Uh, One of which happened in Spain, and I think the other was like Belgium or something, where there were a bunch of guys who got together and did things they probably shouldn't have and (laughs) went and spread this to other folks.
0: Oh, that's uh, lovely. (laughs) That's a lovely thought. (laughs) Sex, it can kill you.
1: Oh, it's not very lethal. I mean, it's lethal-ish, but it's not like actual smallpox or anything.
0: Okay, so, like, at at its utmost here, what could what could Monkeypox do, let, let's say, at its most
2: destructive?
1: 5% kill rate, worst case scenario. That's, like, okay. no medical treatment, no one's helping you at all, you don't bother with Western medicine because you don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe 5% kill rate.
0: Okay, and on the milder end?
1: Literally no one in the U.S. has died of it. <clears throat> as far as I'm aware, ever.
0: So, look, <laughs> uh, it looks like Europe, uh, per- particularly the uh, World Health Organization here, is trying to kick up another uh, scare.
1: Uh, probably. I mean, probably. they did just get a bunch of nations to agree uh, to give them more authority over their internal affairs than previously was the case.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Which... <laughs> Does not surprise me.
0: <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Jeez. We're talking like I, a
1: month or two ago, like quite recently.
0: Right. So like definitely, um, in terms of the mythological creatures we all like to kind of play with, definitely if you uh definitely a bad time to be a vampire. Let me, let me tell you because <laughs> if, if your victims aren't drugged or diseased, well, then you found a unicorn. You need to keep that one alive for a while. <laughs> hey, I hate to bother you, but could you be a willing donor for about a couple millennia?
1: <laughs> need you to live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, I don't want to turn you. That would be counterproductive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Deacon Frost is, like, really rethinking his strategy of becoming La Magra at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh, so so. But the but the short version is yes, you could theoretically catch um, monkeypox in another way, but, but but that's quite rare. So rare, in fact, that I hope that the two children who recently caught monkeypox, I sincerely hope that the relevant government officials carefully investigates how that happened. Yeah, because there's no way a toddler and a baby should be catching that unless. <clears throat> I guess their parents have it right now, and had to change them or something.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Either that or the uh, the parents caught it and then had to transmit it to them.
1: Right. So that could come through like normal care. But short of mm-hmm. that, if their parents don't have it, and maybe even then, there probably be should be an investigation because there's a, there's mostly one way you catch that mostly. Yeah and it's not something that any children should be should be engaged in
0: so with with that particular case um
1: also if i were sick with something like that mm -hmm. i'd like have my parents take care of my kid for the you know few weeks it took me to get over monkeypox
0: so it takes a few weeks to get over this
1: yeah i mean if you have good treatment and stuff maybe a little longer if your immune system is shot or something but
0: yeah uh,
1: uh,
0: (laughs) true true and i mean this isn't you know bubonic plague or black death here no yeah
1: but it's fairly debilitating like you'll be down to the fever and stuff like you won't you won't feel good
0: so a good self-quarantine really take care of yourself really you know keep the fluid intake coming
1: Yeah, and like having like a spouse or other person coming to like make sure that you have food and change out your sheets with proper safety gear because otherwise they'll catch it.
0: (laughs) True. Yeah. So, uh, plastic bag the sheets.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, glove the hands. uh, Possibly even cover cover the rest of you just to be on the safe side.
1: Yeah, but it's like it's not like a hard thing to avoid catching if you try.
2: Right.
0: Okay. Like,
1: like it's, it's currently it's current transmission method that obviously that could change, but it's current transmission method is actually behaviorally based, which means you can actually do stuff to make sure you never catch it, (sighs) which is not the case for COVID. Right. You, you can do all the things that the government tells you to do. And guess what? Still
0: catch it. Yeah. Here, here's my question. Um, any idea how many of the homeless were vaccinated?
1: Um, the well, the homeless people I encountered pretty regularly. The bulk of them were not vaccinated, but okay. that's just the ones I talked to. Which let's say probably close to a thousand over the course of the cu- course of the quarantine.
0: Okay, and uh, out of out and of obviously, that, uh... I
1: didn't ask every single one,
0: but true, true. And how many of them ever masked up or, uh, you know, put one of those face shields on or anything like that?
1: Um, a large number of them, but in ways that were silly. <laughs> when your mask is dirtier than the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect uh, it's not preventing you from catching much.
0: It's, it's probably going to do more harm to you than, uh, yeah. than good. Yeah.
1: And um, one of my first COVID exposures was from some homeless guys, who, one of whom was on the ground uh, having trouble breathing, and it turned out he probably had COVID. Oh, wow. So I, I stood by until we got EMS there to make sure he didn't quit breathing, because he was, he was struggling pretty bad. And then uh, when they got there, they weren't wearing masks. They came in the closed room where this guy was at. I'm like, well, I stopped him at the door. I'm like, hold on got breathing problems. He thinks he has covid. You probably should put on your safety gear.
0: Maybe. Yeah. I'm like, "Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, might be a good idea." Maybe.
1: I'm like, "It's already that ship's already sailed for me. I got exposed or not. It's already happened." But
0: <laughs> You know, I seem to remember this was
1: cuz I, you know, I didn't know he was having uh, that problem. I literally like walked into him.
0: What well, what year was this? It was about like I think it was like 2007 2008 somewhere in there there was like a browser-based game where you could like you could infect one area of the world with your customized virus and then oh, you sure. could set the pattern of of infection and the object was for it to remain the detection to remain low as possible but the transmission to be as high and to spread as, as far and as quickly as, as it could. I remember there was one I created It took everything except Madagascar. Madagascar survived just about everything I threw at the planet. <laughs> and, and and I'm watching it and it took, I want to say my quickest was probably about maybe a year or two. And I had decimated um, a good portion of the planet's population, mm-hmm. but Madagascar, Madagascar just kept giving me nature's middle finger. It, it would not <laughs> take this virus at all. And I'm thinking, and it, it, it frustrated me because I was like, how do I get Madagascar? Even if I just got there, that's all I'm looking for. I just need to get Madagascar, but I can never get there. Everything travel to and from shut down. Before I could never get Madagascar, it was it was kind of crazy. I thought it was just an interesting uh, thing to bring up because yeah, you know we're we're gamers, we oh, yeah. we game. It's what we do.
1: Now it might have we, been it might have been a programming error, like where they made certain be. assumptions um, that probably aren't true about the nation of Madagascar, <laughs> uh, but it might be that they were following like a specific like uh, behavior from the past. Like I played a game years ago called Superpower, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually based off fairly accurate data of all the standing militaries in the world from like 1997. And so, oh, you, wow. so you could pick a country and you'd start controlling that country against the computer players. And the computer players didn't know um, which country you were playing. Mm-hmm. So they, they would behave like you were also an AI. And so depending, oh. so depending on what your choices were... <clears throat> Uh, You could kind of fly under the radar and like just kind of watch you know geopolitics develop, or you could really get everybody focused on you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That that reminds me of there was a book I read one time, probably about in the early two thousands, and it was about this um about this little island who wanted to develop, and they wanted to they they were kind of their own nation, but. They weren't recognized as one and they really wanted to, uh, to get recognized. So they, they picked a fight. They picked a fight with, with another country who, who had like military superiority. They got their butts kicked and then they demanded that everything be rebuilt by that country. And it was granted before too long, they became enough of a geopolitical power to gain nation status. And that war was their key to doing it. It was it was a really ingenious plan. And I was like, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of cool. You you know, a little scrappy underdog island, you know, suddenly becomes a nation with some, uh, some geopolitical stroke there. And I was like, I can't remember the title of the book. And if anyone could remember that if you're watching this uh, a little later, you know, feel free to throw it in the comment section. But I just remember thinking that was, that was quite the story. And I don't want to give away anymore because it was, so, it was so good. I need to get another copy of that book if I can ever remember the title. Right. But let, let's just say this. Okay. So we, you were, you hosted a game last night and, uh, it was me, John, Victor, um, likely arrow. And I, th- I think it was everybody.
1: Yeah, it was five of us. Yep.
0: Yeah, it was five of us. We really had a, a great time playing. I think, uh, Horde huh? Wars. Was it? Yeah. Yes. And I, I, gotta, I gotta tell, uh, anyone watching this right now, cause I'm, I'm not looking at my screen. I'm looking directly at the camera. Um, anyone watching this, it was, it was a really fun time and we could definitely use a dwarf. So, you know, please <laughs> come on in. Don't be afraid. We are, uh, we are very, very welcoming. And, uh, many, many great one-liners were thrown around and many, uh, <laughs> Meta movie references for all.
3: Oh yeah, you gotta have fun with it.
0: <laughs> Give me that wig. <laughs> <laughs> so, let, let's uh, let's say uh, in the setting, horde wars, because you did try to make this as much medieval Europe as like historical medieval Europe as possible with fantasy elements.
1: Oh, well, yeah. So I didn't like do a straight analy- It's not like a map of Europe or something, but, right. but as far as like, I wanted the components there that if you wanted to play a strictly medieval European setting with my rules, you could. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to play with kind of a mid fantasy to high fantasy level, there's also rules present for that. And right. so my setting is kind of a hybrid of these two things. Well, obviously and, if you want to make your own setting with my game rules you can borrow the relevant components for your world right I, and
0: that's one of those things I love is like kind of like what I call game interactivity or connectivity where you could take you could take two or three separate systems and and put them together in elements so you could take rules from one the setting for another and then elements from a completely different book and put them all together make your own mega game and yeah you know have a lot of fun with it in fact, I got, a, I got a few books sitting on my coffee table right now. I just picked up uh, Monster of the Week and Monster of the Week Tome of Mysteries because they, they just looked interesting to me. And I was like, hmm, well, let's give these a look. And I've, I've already kind of like started reading a few pages of it. And I'm like, okay, X, they mentioned X-Files. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Son of a bitch. I'm totally in. But let's just say your setting right now, you're going to introduce a plague on top of let's just say there's a goblin invasion um you know our our players have to hold that off and on top of that there's a disease coming what kind of disease do you think would present the most challenges here
1: so so well let's see so, on the one hand, I, I do have the capacity for magical healing, right? Supernatural healing through through priests or that, or or, or acolytes, or this kind of thing. Well, correct. There is um, so what you'd need for that kind of thing is either a plague that was in some way resistant to it, or one that that was transmissible enough that the healers couldn't keep up with it.
0: What about what about this? Um plague with magical resistance because it's magical in nature.
1: Sure. Sure. You could, you could do that. I, um, but even, even without that, just, just like say, if you were trying to fight measles versus, um, um, well, we were, we were talking about uh, the, uh, the coronavirus mm-hmm. uh, coronavirus. I don't remember the exact number, but it's, it loosely speaking, it's something like two or three people. Like if you get COVID over the course of your uh, transmissibility period, on mm-hmm. average, you'll infect like two or three other people. Right. Uh, well, with the measles, it's like fourteen. Ooh. So, so if you had a disease like that that like takes off pretty fast and you don't catch it right away, mm-hmm. um, even a pretty big established church if you assume like a quarter of the clergy could try to fix it, mm-hmm. well, how many people are clergy? Like one in a hundred tops? Yeah. You might not be able to keep up with the plague because now you're dealing with like one in 400 can maybe fix it like once a day for one person.
0: So the character that I played, Sir Arthur Royce, he's a uh, part of Fire uh, Fireheart Keep, yeah, which is like a... Uh, sort of like a knights hospitaller type of group yep uh, the which is where our term hospital comes from and of course the Red Cross does come from the Templars as we're, we're aware so when you have even just the Knights if they have some kind of medical training sure uh, in, in my case I have I have some pharmaceutical training so if you need um, if you need a liquid antibiotic, I'm going to be able to tell you know how many how many milliliters of water to put with that powder and how long to shake it before you know it to make that suspension for you. So you could say modern day sorcerer. So even with sorcery or pharmaceuticals being a thing back then, um, I think my order could easily be overrun by something like mumps, measles, rubella. Yeah, just sort of blowing up, and inside that one town is it's besieged by goblins. You yeah.
1: know, right, right. Um, yeah, because if you if you get something that's relatively lethal or debilitating, even, and it spreads quickly, I mean that mm. that'll do it. Because one, it'll be knocking the priests uh, or similar, uh, like uh, apothecary type people, out of commission. Or even if they are able to keep themselves in commission, they're wasting their efforts on themselves and not actually fighting the disease in general
0: right uh, plus we're, we're also looking at uh supplies are gonna get real low real quick
1: sure sure your, I was actually your herbs
0: working... and things are gonna are gonna go out the window real quick you can't grow them fast enough
1: yeah i was actually working on the supply rate for the local apothecary in the town mm-hmm. that you guys are in um and so her supply rate she's basically got uh per month she can supply 2d4 healing potions um, 1d4 miscellaneous other potions and 1d4 miscellaneous vials. Vials are the ones that you can uh throw, like holy water. Right. Or like uh, alchemist fire, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's it. That's that's her supplies she can provide you with in a month.
0: And that's in a month? Yeah. And when we say d4, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about pyramid-shaped dice.
1: Yeah, so, four sides. Yep.
0: And the highest you can roll is four <laughs> so if she could supply one d4 healing potions you roll a you roll a two she's only giving you two healing potions a month
1: well 2d4 for those and oh, then a two d4
0: d4 for her. i'm sorry yeah, yeah. so if you if you roll a one and a one if you snake eye that thing it's, yep. it's not good for you she's she's not producing very quickly now if you luck out you know lady Lux just blowing on the bones good that day you know you could get up to eight right so yeah that's that's a good month for her but let me tell you when you have a wall village of how many people
1: um well over a hundred so uh call it call, call it 150.
0: okay so about 150 people only eight healing potions a month even if you were to just give every member of the party, which was four of us, yeah. five, if we, five, if we can get a dwarf, uh, let's just say five of us, because for the sake of argument, we got the dwarf. Five yeah. of us, that means there's three more to go around between 150 people. There's yeah. going to be a riot.
1: Yeah. And, and so the only other point of supply is the every D4 weeks, a traveling merchant comes to town. And so, whatever he's got in his wagon,
0: and we're talking about a city besieged by goblins. Yeah, you're not going to see many merchants come through there.
1: And the and the goblins are aren't even the, the main threat. The main threats from across the border, which is the drakaran uh, dragon worshippers. Oh boy, uh, which the the keep <clears throat> is oriented towards. So to get to the village, you have to go past the keep. Right, right. So that. So that uh, hopefully the keep will, will protect the town in that way, um, but yeah.
0: But if they lay siege to the walls, or the the drakarans uh, get wind of that that siege plus the disease, they're gonna wait outside. Yep. But they're gonna they're gonna be there. They're just gonna wait right outside for the uh, chaos inside to kind of come to a dull murmur and then. You know, they're coming in.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to think in the area that other than if there were um, some like traveling priests uh, or uh, acolytes as part of like a given group of crusaders or something. Um, the only other healer in the town is, uh, is the guy in the, in the stone chapel. And so there is a priest who can heal like once a day, uh, one person. And he can wow. also bring a, a person back from the dead once a day, uh, with certain conditions. The body has to be intact, and that can, they can't have died another time uh, at their current character level.
2: Wow! So okay. for so, NPCs
1: th- who don't gain character levels, he can bring you back <clears throat> once. For player characters, he can bring you back once per level potentially.
0: Right. So I'm looking at I'm looking at our clock here. We got about like maybe 15 minutes left. Any sure. um any, have I, have I left anything on the table that you still want to cover?
1: Well, I mean, as far as the, the plagues and stuff, um, I just think it's very in, in real life. I think it's very interesting how much that, um, people are manipulated, not by what their eyes can observe or by what they can find out by simply asking their friends and neighbors, about their direct experiences, but by basically just, um, propaganda by things said on the news that frequently turn out to just not be true. But even in the cases where they are true, um, are often exaggerated.
0: Can, can I tell you a story about how I've, uh, angered a, a few doctors?
3: Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um... And the the same exact thing, I could not believe it. It it was almost like a, and and I hate to wax conspiratorial here, but I'm, I'm gonna, it's never stopped me before. It's not going to do it now. It almost seemed like there was a script involved. It's so weird. The first doctor I visited now, this was because I have uh, the last time I I took a flu shot only two times in my life and both were uh, back when I worked in corrections and both were, you know, I don't know what ramped up the, what I call the sales game the last couple of years, but I mean, both my captain and my Lieutenant were all up on me to get this uh, flu shot until finally I caved. And I said, fine, fine. Before work, I'll get this thing. Um, the first one I took ended up sending me home and we weren't, We were pretty far into the shift. I want to say by about maybe, oh, five, maybe six hours tops. I just was not feeling good. And it took me off my feet for a few days. I mean, really took it out of me. I was not expecting this. I'm not the kind of guy that gets flu. And when I do, I tend to shake it fairly quickly. I'm miserable for a couple of days, but... Yeah. You know, by third and fourth of the day, I'm actually feeling better. I just got to get this fever to break for 24 hours so I can get the hell out of the house. But this one, this one really took it out of me. And when I finally did make it back to work, I was like, I'm not doing this again. Second year. Here they are again. And I was like, we, we discussed this. I'm not doing it again. They won't shut up. I finally do it. This one took me out for two weeks.
1: So you got worse. in effect. I got,
0: I got worse. So. <clears throat> I won't say it was during that second week, I ended up going to a doctor who, who said, you know, you, you could very well have an allergy to these types of shots. And I, I would not in, I would not advise, uh, taking them again. Yep. I was like, yeah, I'm way ahead of you. So of course, when I went back, you know, never again. And this time I've got, you know, paperwork from the doctor here. He advises me not to do this again. I'm following his orders. You're not my doctor. You're not prescribing anything. That's it. The discussion's over. I'll I'll, I'll hear no more of it. Here comes the next year, and I'm like, uh, it's just I, yeah. You know, I give him this look like, hmm. We talked about this. It's not going to happen. And so I, I managed to just hold out on him this time. We, we got the discussion to drop. Never took it again. Here I am with this history of you know allergic reactions to an antiviral and i'm in that first doctor's office and i tell them about it and they tell me that they can't they no no we we can't give you a medical exemption because of an allergy i'm like do you guys recommend that people with peanut butter allergies have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on a picnic because it's safe and effective (laughs) <laughs> and that's where, this is where my line of questioning began. I'm like, okay, does this pre- prevent transmission? No. Okay, does it prevent contraction? No, it reduces symptoms. NyQuil does that. So by your own definition, NyQuil is now a vaccine.
1: And, so and it, no, also it should be noted that there you can't prove that it does that.
0: Exactly, because there's because no way to, to demonstrate it,
1: it. You would have to um give someone who with covid a bunch of people with covid the vaccine like partway through and see mm. if their symptoms improved or you'd need control groups of well people people with covid who hadn't been vaccinated and then people with covid who had and it'd have to be massive groups right like 10,000 or more to get accurate data Uh, Mm -hmm. And it would have to be of multiple age ranges and such, right? It it just, it's not, it's not a viable study and no one's done one like that. So you can't, they can't scientifically make the claim really that it even does that.
0: (sighs) No, they can't. And when, when this was made like, know i'm trying to be reasonable here but it's just not working i'm getting cnn talking points that's all i'm getting and i'm thinking i could have just turned on cnn and saved 130 160 bucks and that's what it cost me (laughs) per visit yep and all three visits exactly the same thing and i'm like and i was like so close to on the last one I, i looked at this doctor and i wanted i just kind of like shook my head and i walked out i just literally walked out of the office and i I kinda of did it for all three, but I gave I gave the first two a little bit more than I gave this last one. And I was like, You've got to be kidding me. And I wanted so badly, but you know, my my tongue was my tongue was being chewed by my teeth here just to keep me from doing it. I wanted to go, how much are you guys being paid? I really wanna know. Cause I'm in the wrong line of work. <laughs> it was it was so weird. And I remember you telling me about a religious exemption based on what was it again a pharmaceutical necromancy was it
1: uh medicinal necromancy
0: medicinal (laughs) necromancy yeah tell me about this because this
1: is this is pretty amazing stuff okay so so basically um uh a friend of mine and i I don't know if you want me to say his name or not but but a a friend of mine uh has a similar job to you he works uh in a hospital pharmacy Mm. as a pharmacy technician right and his work was requiring him to get vaccinated this was not a government mandate thing this was a work mandate correct and so he asked for help uh writing a, a request for a religious exemption so i i helped him with that partly uh we included a statement from um a church that that we're largely theologically in line with um as a religious authority in our religion just saying talking about this topic right um but also he had to explain what what he thought and so you know i helped him kind of write it out because i'm i'm better at, at writing but he he told me what he thought we discussed it and i was like all right so then we worked on it together and basically uh the objection boils down to that we are um, that we're both Christians, we both believe that we were created in the image of God, we also believe that the moral laws found in the Old Testament uh, apply today. So, for example, and you agree with most of them, I suspect, uh, don't murder, don't steal, right? Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, these kinds of things. So, yes, well, included yes. among the moral laws, or at least potentially, are directions about how to treat the dead,
0: Mm, okay, yeah, go and on. And
1: discussions about how touching an un, a dead body makes you unclean, or put another way, um, means that you shouldn't be going to public assemblies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because uh, that that's the effect. You had to, like, take time and purify yourself and stuff. Well, this, this is a wise thing from a medical perspective, if you've been playing around with a corpse for one reason or another, whether you found some roadkill or... Whether you've just, uh, you know, worked at a mortician's office, it's mm. unwise prior to getting cleaned off, right? To go around a bunch of other people, you could get them sick.
2: True. Yeah.
1: Um, so, so there is there is a direct practical application today of this of this biblical uh, standard. Right. So, so, and it also talks about uh, in various verses about God caring about um parts of our bodies even so when um cain murders abel god talks about abel's blood crying out to him from the ground Mm. right
3: Right. um
1: it all and also obviously there are various rules uh for modesty so they were supposed to make sure that the priest didn't accidentally flash anybody when he went up on a platform like there were directions for how his clothing was supposed to be made so that wouldn't happen right so Brother. so there are these this, these details he cares about you even hear phrases like um uh that that uh he counts the hairs on your head
3: mm, yeah he
1: cares about the intimate details right of your of your life to the um,
0: cellular level
1: right so so this so this idea means that when the method of producing and testing. Uh, manufacturing and, and testing modern vaccines, many of them, not all, involves using the living tissue of a woman who's been dead for over fifty years and who was herself uh murdered this is a, a, a this is a woman who uh, a, a child who was killed in the womb
3: Ooh, and okay. then
1: her tissue is being used in medical research
3: mm-hmm.
1: certainly without her permission, she was never able to give it right. And it's been keeping being herselfs are being divided and kept alive, even though she is dead.
0: And now here's here's the question I have about that. Um, you're, you're saying, OK, so she's been she's been dead 50 years. Yeah. Um, do we like I know now uh, when getting your driver's license, they ask or even getting it renewed, they ask, would you li- would you like to consider being an organ donor? Was she ever... Do we know if she, this... Well, she couldn't be, because
1: uh, remember, she was killed as a baby.
0: Okay, okay, so... Okay, gotcha, yeah. okay. That's yeah. where I was a little confused. So, right, so, so there's on. no
1: possibility of consent.
2: Right,
0: okay. Even
1: if that made it okay. Right. I would argue that it wouldn't, but but let's say it did. Okay. In this case, there's not even a question that that happened. It, it clearly did not. Mm-hmm. Um. And so... Now you're dealing with you know a couple different issues, which is the potentially just the abuse of a corpse, right? Right, um, but also the unnatural extension of life of cells that should be long dead.
2: Aha. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. And
1: is this a good thing? Hence, me, hence
0: medicinal thing? necromancy. Yes. Yeah. So, so as you can see, ladies and gentlemen, when. when like when I'm saying uh, about my job, modern day sorcerer, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not actually joking. This is, that's what sorcery actually is. It's, it's uh, basically chemistry, but in this case, necromancy, you're talking about, you know, working with the dead. Yes. Quite literally. Yep. That's, that's amazing. Medicinal necromancy. Yes. That is...
1: Wow. So, so this, is, this is potentially a moral issue for, for Christians. Now, some Christians are of the of view uh, that, um, that, that, that those components of the Old Testament are not part of the moral law, but are only part of the ceremonial law, hmm. uh, which is stuff like about how the priests were supposed to behave or the sacrificial system was supposed to exist and stuff for Israel. Right. Um, and those things Christians don't have to follow. And they're quite uh-huh. right. That is true. I don't think that, that all of the things I listed are part of the ceremonial law, but some of them very well may be. And so that's a fair enough belief. I'm not going to say that they are definitely wrong.
3: Uh-huh.
1: But I do think that there is um, room for both views. Uh-huh. And for those who do think that this is a problem, uh-huh. they, should, they should be free to practice it. They should be free to go yeah i don't want to have anything to do with that and in fact if you ask your normal uh, agnostic american hey do you know this is how vaccines are made and just ask them they're usually disgusted by it
0: I, look i'm i'm a heathen and even i'm disgusted by it
1: yeah and shouldn't you want to shouldn't you know this information and before you put it in your body
0: that, that is, that's exactly what informed consent is and what it's supposed to be, yes.
1: Yeah, and um, and then there's the, uh, a further issue which this specific vaccine is dealing with. And this one is much more clearly, uh, there's much less wiggle room because it's not dealing with anything potentially of ceremonial law. It's the question of if God made the world and he made you individually. The Bible says that he designed you in your mother's womb, right? Mm. Knit you together. I think is the term. Um, sure. Yeah. So if that's the Christian view of the world—that we are in an imperfect world, imperfect because of our sin—but that God is still very deeply involved in mm. the design and life of all creatures, right? Right. Wouldn't it be kind of hubristic of us to say, edit the RNA or DNA in our body yeah, or our I mean,
0: even even from a heathen perspective here um, when when Odin and his brothers Vili and Bay create the first two humans from uh, the the trees that that they felled themselves or that they found that way they create uh ask and embla they very much created them and this was i think in the prosetta when i read it they created them to be like them like in their image right so we we do share a a similarity there so these these gods whether christian or heathen as mine are they create us in harmony with nature and then we're supposed to be so good that we're going to go screwing around with it we're going to go in there and edit it thinking that we can create what uh, and i know this is a little extreme thinking here but we're going to make ourselves superhuman godlike
1: yeah it's a it's a foolish plan partly because um the people who said this is an rna only vaccine were probably telling the truth in that, that that that's what they meant to do Mm-hmm. But it's not what the vaccine actually does. It does edit your RNA. That's true. Um, but also, the delivery mechanism collects in your uh, in the parts of your body oriented around reproduction. So testicles in men. What that will do to future generations is an open question. We haven't checked. The delivery I think, mechanism. I don't right? think
0: we've had the opportunity to check that yet.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So that's um, potentially a problem, but certainly a change. Um And also, it turns out, when this vaccine gets into your liver, it does edit your liver's DNA.
2: Oh.
1: Which is very, very bad. And I can explain why. We don't understand how DNA works um, properly. When people talk about mapping DNA, what they mean is pulling the strand out like a a ticker tape, right? Mm -hmm. And reading it left to right. Right. And, like, mapping each part. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's not how DNA is read. Your cell doesn't read it left to right or, or, or right to left. Your cell reads it by the physical orientation of the coiled up and folded DNA. Oh. So, for example, when you ingest a new poison that your body has never experienced, your liver will attempt to process this poison. Your liver's um, DNA will physically rearrange within the cell to tell the liver cell to make a new protein your body didn't make before Ooh. to help neutralize the poison.
0: Right, okay.
1: So here's the thing. It's not reading that as a, as, a, as, a, as a strip. It's reading it based on the change in orientation.
0: So it could be reading the entire strip at random spots?
1: Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. And by okay. design, where your body actually somehow knows, the liver cells, to react to that stimuli that you've never had before to make this protein.
0: Man, let me tell you what you're telling me right now lets me know that after what uh after a couple of the Pfizer shots and uh what two or three boosters, it's probably be it's probably a bad time to be an alcoholic.
1: Yeah, well that and here's the thing, we don't actually understand all the different ways in which the DNA is read because we don't we haven't like seen all the different ways that it'll reorient.
0: And as I understand it, um
1: And, and you have to remember also, this is three dimensional information storage,
0: right? We can't do
1: that in computers.
0: And as I understand it, the liver is a very forgiving organ, but it can only take so much punishment.
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So so editing at random and by accident, presumably random strips of DNA in the liver cells Mm -hmm. is a real stupid idea. Because uh-huh. when you run into the right problem, your liver will do presumably what it's supposed to do and try to make the right protein, except you just fed it a bunch of gibberish to make mm-hmm. instead of what's supposed to be there.
0: So so what we're looking at here is a, a sort of an Ian e. Malcolm um, thought of you spent so much time thinking of whether you could, you didn't think of whether or not you should.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And so, and and here's the other thing. We also don't know, right. How the liver, how the DNA knows to rearrange itself. It does do it.
0: We just don't don't actually know know why. Right. Like, like it has rhyme and reason, but we just can't figure out what the rhyme or reason is.
1: Right. So we're doing the equivalent of editing the most complex computer program that we've ever encountered orders of magnitude beyond anything we can actually make without understanding how it works.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and here's another thing, just to kind of throw this out there. I mean, it's take it for what it is, but uh, a medication like warfarin, we give this to heart patients right? actually we dispense it. The, the doctor's the one who makes the yeah. order for it. Uh, and if you're a heart patient, what warfarin is, is it's a blood thinner. And what it does is when you take it, it does thin the blood so that if you do have blockages, you have stents or whatever, it it makes the blood flow a little more freely. Now, you don't want to get punched and you don't want to have an accident while you're taking this stuff because, yeah, you'll bleed out. But here's the thing that uh, the reason I bring that up. Any used bottles we have to dispose of in hazardous material boxes. Hmm yeah let that sink in and one of the things i was told uh back when i started working in this pharmacy was well just about everything in here is toxic to a human at at some point or another it's just in what doses do you give it
1: oh oh yeah that's quite true pharmaceuticals in general um and any of them will harm your liver to some degree it's a question of how much and how quickly it'll bounce back right but what we what we've done with this mrna vaccine um, and the associated boosters is we've actually if in effect poisoned the ability of the liver to fight off certain problems. Oh Except we don't even know which ones. Uh oh. Right? That's that's not a wise thing to do. Um we didn't I, I assume, I hope, the people who made this didn't know that would happen until it went into people. Because mm-hmm. if they did know, they should be executed.
0: No. Yeah, I'm I'm in full agreement with that.
1: Um, and it's just, so So those are the, but but back to the, what you were asking about, the, the main moral objections, right, for, for a Christian are, there is an order uh, in the design of life and in particular human life described in the Bible and kind core, core, right, to the human, uh, to, to, to the Christian religion. Um, and that's a reason why messing with the created order Shouldn't be, shouldn't be done in that way, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a moral issue. And then the second one is um, this issue of how we are treating the dead and whether or not this is something that would be morally good. And the real trick, right, isn't whether or not we can benefit from evil research. I don't mind that we use hypothermia research that the Nazis did. Mm. I would very much mind if they were still doing it.
0: Right, right, but in one in one case, the the really damaging work was already done, and now we have the outcomes of it, and now we can say, okay, well, we should do this in response. We shouldn't do that in response because that's already done. It's not that we did it ourselves. In this right. case, we're doing it ourselves.
1: Exactly. This is an ongoing uh, evil activity.
0: Hmm. Yeah, about what two, three years of it now?
1: Well, no, no. This vaccine uh, methodology has been in place for about fifty.
0: Oh no, no, I, I know about that, but I'm talking yeah. about th- this one in particular.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh Here. wow. So, and and and, like you said, um, a lot of uh, a lot of pagan religions, not all, but a lot, also believe in a created order, and so they would they would share Christian and for that matter, Orthodox Jewish uh, views on this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, random agnostic people who I've talked to who aren't even really sure if there is an afterlife or a God or anything like that mm. are pretty much immediately repulsed when you simply describe the the process of me, a part of making some of the vaccines
3: mm-hmm.
1: like, um, and some of the some of the companies used this methodology to greater degrees, but every single one of the mRNA vaccines used it uh, in at least one stage of the production.
0: And I remember watching. Um, I remember this got this got heavily censored on just about every platform. I think except maybe Spotify. And I managed to catch it. I don't know if it's still there. But uh, when Joe Rogan was talking with the with the guy who created this thing yes and he he was like you know whoa whoa his overall message was, whoa guys this is not where we want to go with this and we really kind of we need to kind of think about this for just a minute and suddenly he was just like they shoved him way to the side
1: i recall i saw i think 30 minutes or so of that interview
0: yeah it it was really good i I listened to the whole thing uh kind of going to and from work and then I think it was uh, my last night of work before my uh, two days off. I took a long walk just to listen to the rest of it. And I was, I was really impressed. And I was a a little taken aback that, you know, for, for news, I'm gonna put an asterisk next to that news asterisk sources, uh, that claim that they had relevant up to the date. Uh, you know, up to date and factual information that they would just shove these. I mean, we're, we're not just talking just him. We're talking doctors, uh, any health professional that came forward and said something. And rather than present this, and uh, this is like I went to uh, I went to school for mass communication uh, with a concentration of print journalism uh Never, never graduated. I just kind of went to school for it. Uh, part of that curriculum was you have to approach it, your story, whatever, whatever you get, whatever information you get, you have to present it in a fair, balanced and objective manner. And it's up to the person reading it to decide for themselves. You're just there to inform nothing more. And it seemed like we're not informed. Not in the least, because there's oh, there's certainly. stuff you revealed here that I didn't know, and certainly you know I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely one to check it out if I can if I can find anything. Oh, but you do. you
1: can find that stuff very easily. In fact, Pfizer uh, has been uh, lost a lawsuit uh, essentially a uh, freedom of information. Heard about activity.
0: that, and yeah. so
1: they're being forced to release more and more data. And it turns out they knew their vaccine was neither safe nor effective, and released it anyway. Um, and and, and there they're are people saying that, not me. You can read their data if you're and, bored.
0: And there are, peop- there are people showing up every day for these things, wondering when they can get the fifth or sixth one. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. That's mm. like, I can't really wrap my head around it. it just how quickly a lot of the stuff came out. In fact, there's a joke running around, and it's what's the difference between conspiracy theory and conspiracy fact? Three about, three <laughs> about three weeks, about three weeks these days. Yeah, about three weeks. Uh, so, but, you know, three months, yeah, that, that seems like a, a pretty fair amount of time for something that's been really heavily suppressed.
1: Yeah, now let me find, I'm going to try and find the name of the article.
0: Okay. And by, the, by the way, uh, folks, I know we're going on longer than. Um, 2 hours but I knew that this part what when I saw we were down the last 5 minutes I knew this part was going to take us over it's fine I really wanted this part to come out especially so
1: well I yeah I'm I'm glad to talk with you and you know I'm happy to do it again sometime if you're if you're up for it
0: I I'm definitely up for it because I I put this out I put the feelers out today and uh, th- there were um there were a pretty good amount of people wanted to um, wanted me to do like a bi-weekly live stream where we would talk about just about anything and we we could talk tabletop role-playing games we can talk um tarot oracles runes we could talk religion um you know really not not a lot of subjects with me are taboo unless it's going to just devolve into something i don't want like what happens on twitter from time to time so Yeah, that's, that's something, uh, that's something I'm thinking about doing probably starting a couple weeks from now, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll just kind of see how it goes. I might do, I might just do it like once a month just for something to do, you know, just like morning tea with Raven and we can just sit here, shoot the breeze and have a good time that, so that's, that's definitely something uh, I'm thinking about doing. And it could even be, you know, because of, uh because of the tribe, you know, I know they kind of get behind me too. Uh, It it could be associated with them, but we're still going to talk the same thing. You know, uh, tabletop role-playing games, tarot, uh, anything you really want. It doesn't matter. I mean, right now, we just discussed religion in a sense. Two different guys, two different religions, Yeah, you know, couldn't be more disparate. But we share a love for tabletop role-playing. And that's and it's like I've said before, when you find that common ground and you can kind of build on that, the differences aren't really going to make a difference because even and and I'm going back to our foundation for this, the the uh, Sir Arthur Royce can run into a dungeon and he's a competent fighter. But if if everything is centered around some kind of dark magic, Sir Arthur Royce is screwed. Now, if he has a mage in his party, well, that's where the mage is going to shine through. So he's his whole duty is to keep that mage alive. So, our you know, where one may be weak and the other one may be stronger, those two things should complement each other, and that's that's the uh, thing I
2: operate on.
1: Yeah, and you know, we come from having talked before a bit about it. We come from uh, somewhat similar backgrounds in terms of. Uh, work, but also our age, you know, the kind of um, environment we grew up in; these kinds mm-hmm. of things. We've got some commonalities there. Now, I don't know if you can see the private chat.
0: Uh, let's see. Um, there. There we go. Okay. So,
1: so if you if you click on that, that's a link to something that you might find very interesting. Uh, so this thing? is from uh, I believe Nature magazine, right? So na- nature specifically. Uh, And this is a metadata study of molecular uh, psychiatry.
0: All right, let's see. I'm going to try sharing that screen. And so forgive me if my head's turned. Uh, Actually, I just want a brave tab here. So it's going to be this one. Oops, I grabbed the wrong one. Okay, so let's see. Nature, the serotonin. There we go share that
1: yeah so so basically this study is quite lengthy and in fact if you scroll halfway down or so you'll start seeing the sources it uses 75 different sources this is a heavily researched article um and and they were specifically study uh using metadata from 17 psychiatric uh studies um to uh, basically to prove uh, that the the idea of a chemical imbalance in the brain and uh, relating to serotonin uh, excess or or, or deficiency mm-hmm. uh, has no causal link whatsoever to depression
0: what? did they ever find out what was the causal link to depression
1: no no they oh. are saying that depression, can cause low serotonin. Mm -hmm. The reverse is not true. They're showing that in healthy individuals where they deliberately reduced their serotonin, Mm -hmm. it did not cause depression. And that there are people with high serotonin levels who are depressed.
2: Oh, wow.
1: And that the idea... This came out quite recently, this article. um, uh, Specifically... uh, the 20th, so three days ago. Um, so specifically, that's, that's what they're dealing with. But in general, what this is showing is that a pretty big chunk of the American population has been uh, lied to.
0: And medicated halfway to hell.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah,
1: and, and so as, as far as I can tell, this is a, a very thorough study using a bunch of other people's uh work um people in the industry who are advocating this this view right Mm -hmm. and they're going hey if you actually look at your own data this this shows the opposite of what you're saying god
0: that is brutal
1: um and to and so i don't know if you remember um tom cruise uh yeah that, that kind of ridiculous interview he gave Almost 15 18 years ago
0: on uh, Oprah Winfrey you mean
1: I believe it was no no the one before that uh, it was they were in, they were in like the same month not the okay. couch jumping one the other one
0: okay yeah yeah okay so not Oprah but yeah I do remember the one you're talking
1: yeah about. so he was right Jeez. he was right he was right that the that at least in this specific instance right specifically related to serotonin right that that they were lying. And that, in fact, this this would do nothing to treat the uh, problem at all, but it would mask the symptoms that was. the plan we made And that is precisely what this study is showing.
2: Oh, wow.
0: And and there it is. I mean, it, it was right there in front of us. I'm I'm going to bookmark that because I am definitely going to go and read through that a little bit later, at least when I have a, a moment or two between writing and doing yeah. all the other crap I do.
1: Yeah, so I thought I thought that might be of interest to you, and that's a that, piece of news. That is news.
0: That's definitely of interest to me. Thank thank you so much for that. And uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, we're at we're at two hours and twenty one minutes. Uh, anything you else you want to add before we uh, close out here?
1: Um, no, not really. I mean, other than if any of your listeners happen to be in the. Uh, you know Great Lakes area and are interested in coming to Grand Con. I'd love to have people show up for our live play event at that convention on Labor Day weekend in Grand Rapids, Michigan.
0: Oh, nice! I w- wish I could be there. Unfortunately, uh, a <laughs> little travel challenge at the moment. But um, oh, d- yeah. Well, I'm I'm all the way in New Jersey, so <laughs> it's, uh,
3: it, I, it's. I I drove familiar. there once.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, you probably don't want to do it again. Not uh, really, no. <laughs> I don't blame you. I, I take no offense to that whatsoever. But uh, anyway, I I do want to let everyone know on uh, the basic experts gilded server we do have a gaming table there. You are more than welcome to join us for horde wars. Uh, I can also run games there. So if there's a game you want to play, we could do it there. We could do it in my gilded server, which has all of about four people, maybe six right now. So, uh, but. <laughs> But those those gaming tables are very specific. We can uh, we have rooms that we can bounce ideas off of and everything else. But anyway,
1: yeah. Um, um, I was gonna say the last thing is uh, what did what did you think? Did you have fun with the with the game? Any particular things you liked? Didn't like? With,
0: with Horde Wars, I just I liked that. You know, and I just randomly picked up pregen, one of your pregens, uh, and I was I looked at Sir Arthur Royce and I was like, you know what? I don't normally play. The uh, I like, I like to play that sort of barbarian who he's he's out in the woods a lot, you know. He he kind of stays on the fringes, you know. He, he's kind yeah. of his old person, very self reliant. In this case, I'm playing a very young uh knight who is part of a holy order, right? And I thought, you know, I don't normally play that type, so I was like, let, let's. I, I like that there was a bit of a challenge there that I could play against my type and it was so much fun and i could picture him being like sort of a young arthur in excalibur just not being arthur you know i really kind of got that vibe off of him and it was so much fun to play and i liked that he could just do what he was good at doing and it was it was a lot of fun and a little bit of my outside the box thinking uh, actually got to come into play. I got to make a decision, like right off the bat. It had to be it's uh, a pretty quick decision too, and yeah. my decision uh, ultimately paid off. And I was like, oh, thank goodness! But <laughs> yeah, when I found out I was the group tank, I was like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. I mean, you and you and you and Victor in different ways. He's easy to hit, right? And he what? isn't as resistant to damage, but he can recover quickly.
0: Yeah, and mine was very resistant to damage, but couldn't really recover as quickly. Yeah. And I I thought, you know what? It's such a fun game, which is so cool. I can't wait to see the finished product. And when and if this thing ever goes to Kickstarter, you're going to have to let me know because I'm totally buying a copy.
1: Oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad to hear it.
0: I would definitely get behind that game. But uh, final thing I wanted to point out was uh, John over at the Basic Expert, uh, Captain Greybeard, and the guy who sent me my new deck of runes, Eric. Uh, Eric's birthday was today. Captain Greybeard's was yesterday, celebrating, you know, the big bad 51, so level 51 now. And John celebrated a birthday the day before him. I wanted to wish them all a happy birthday. Love you guys take care of yourselves and each other hopefully many many more birthdays to come and yeah i just really wanted to say oh we're we're celebrating them today and this podcast goes out to all three of you so
1: yeah happy birthday guys
0: so i think uh we could close out there uh b it was great having you love to have you on board love having this conversation would love to do it again yeah, definitely welcome on great. the stream at any time All you got to do is say the word. I will pull you right in. And as for everybody else, I'm going to close out like I do with all my readings. Take care of yourselves and each other. I love you all. Always do what lights you up. And as always, my friends, hasta la vista. Have a great weekend. Shine on.